Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm just hunky-dory thrilled to death with this weather changes that we're having here, which aren't bad considering what you all have on the East Coast. We are expecting a major nor'easter. I'm not excited about it, but I'm hoping it'll go south of us. So that's all I can hope for. Well, I think you might be right on that part, but boy, it looks like a doozy. It does. It does. Yeah, so we'll just, just have to kind of wait and see. And hunker down, honey, hunker down. That's the way <laughs> I <it's> know. <laughs> I know. Well, here we are on December 16th, and we're going to be bringing on our most requested guest in just a few minutes. Captain Randy Kramer's with us tonight. And before we bring him on, PK, tell us what's happening. Now, last we spoke. You said this was a month where secrets would be revealed, and you were certainly right. There's a lot of stuff coming out, just a tremendous yes, amount of information. Is. I mean, this Julian there's... Assange WikiLeaks dump that just happened, I haven't had time to go through everything, but it looks pretty interesting. And everything else, more people coming out talking about what they saw in terms of election fraud, and oh my goodness. So it's, there's a lot of stuff coming out, but tell us, what do you see in the numbers? Well, actually, right now, the rest of this this entire month is all about secrets being made known. And secrets doesn't have to be that it's all governmental. Take a look at friend to friend or job to job. All types of things are happening right now. People are playing games. They don't even realize that they are in some cases. But they're taking a look at, at the life path of one person versus the personality. And I'm taking a look at... I was taking a look at both uh, Trump and uh, Biden, and I just looked at the first letter of their first names because the D is a closed letter, and they and hold on real tight. can be very up to, uh, the physical and practical. The four is very, very practical. Although the sign is dedicated and hardworking nature, definitely is that. indicates a lot of physical issues, likes to travel, does it because it needs to, but it's a cornerstone that's very dependable. The J, on the other hand, shows how something can be passed from the past. It's always being judged, juries. The judge, the jury, and the jailer comes with the J. But they're very concerned about the judgment, and it's a key word, but it's also filled with some joy or jokes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to find it funny, but it is the way that it ends up. So there's a, a thing of trying to avoid the cornerstone coming from this, it tends to be jealous or justice is very important. And it has a hard time balancing things out. 
So we're looking at both gentlemen each having their own, shall we say, their own uh, fist grab on something the way it's going. Each has something to offer, but they each have something that they need to kind of settle down. Looking at the charts, I see that Trump has no particular uh, issue that is a problem. In uh, Biden's case, he has one thing. It's the three, which deals with the ability to communicate. And wasn't he raised with an issue or born with an issue dealing with of stuttering? And the communication would be an issue for him that he had to overcome. So everything status quo, it's, it's going to be a barn murder when they finally decide what they're really going to do when they grow up. But <laughs> there's a lot that they can offer other people if they quit playing games. Does that make sense? Wow. Well, it does, and I know they're both, everybody's going to be going into a new year numerologically also, which will make a difference in oh, yes, how, yeah, how, you, how they proceed and how we proceed. So that's going to be interesting. And of well, course, if people would just take a look at where they have been up until October has been one way of being, because that's the personal year that they were in. From October 1st until December 31st, they are bridging where they were, and where they're going. So it makes a big difference. What we see right now from October 1st to December 31st is not what we're going to get next year. Okay? Yeah. So they're using that as, we'll just call it their jumping ground. It will be mm-hmm. their springboard to where they're going. So for the interim, I'm just going to say hang on tight. It's going to be one heck of a ride. It see sure will. Yeah, it, it, I like that. But yes, I mean it's, and I'm interested to see what other things will be coming out, what other secrets will be revealed. And you know, so far you've been right about this whole month with that happening. So we shall see. Now on our Facebook page, I want to point out to everybody, there are a number of UFO articles, and there's a video of Tucker Carlson once again raising the flag about UFOs and talking with another person on the show about UFOs that were seen going underwater and then coming out of the water. So that's on our Facebook page. Take a look there. I know Tucker, every once in a while, he'll throw in a story like that, and it's always interesting to see how much the mainstream media is willing to share so we'll find out more about all of this alien influence and connection tonight with Captain Randy Kramer. So yes. now, wait. as everybody knows, our world has changed dramatically since we first had Captain Kramer on our show in February of this year. The captain, i got to point this out because he was the first one to warn us about the impact of COVID. He was the one who came out with all of us when everybody else was saying, ah, it's not going to be a big deal, you know, don't get worried about it. But Captain Kramer knew differently, and he shared that with us, and we are forever grateful because we and our audience got to hear all of the right information, and so we knew this was coming. He also talked Mm -hmm. to us about some supply chain disruptions and other things, possible invasions. We're going to get into all of this tonight. Because we want to know, are we going to be at peace? Are we going to be at war? Is there going to be an invasion? How about a false flag operation just for yucks? And also going to talk a little bit about mind control, because Captain Kramer is also an expert on that. Now, he was a super soldier in the Secret Space Force, 
But he's back on Earth now, and he is an official public relations officer for the United States Marine Corps SS. I'm going to find out what that SS means, and has inside information for us tonight. So, Captain Kramer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Patricia. Glad to be here. Yeah, we love having you and on. I got to tell you, little s at the end of USMC. I'm sorry, and the little s's at the end of USMC. Yeah, what does that mean? Special session. Special ah, session. okay. So it's United out. States Marine Corps special section, and the special section are the little s's. I see. Well, at least I printed it out right. So, <laughs> anyways, well, I have to tell you, our audience was relentless at wanting to get you back on the show. So you are so popular. Oh, well, thank you, everyone, for wanting to have me back. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, they love you, man. They they were like, why are they coming back? you got to have them back. (laughs) So, anyways, thanks for taking time out. I think you're part of the Marine Corps, too, because that's a special place in my heart. Oh. Oh, it's a special place in mine for sure. So my pleasure. Semper Fi to all the Marines out there. Got that right. right. Yes. So how about this? Now, last you were here, you, you talked about what was coming. You talked about mm-hmm. three different, I believe it was three different reemergences of the COVID thing, which everybody's tired of seeing and everybody started talking about mm-hmm. and everybody's try, tired of being locked down over. But along mm-hmm. with that, you also mentioned some international incidents that were quite possible. So maybe we should start there. Mm-hmm. What do you, what's going on? Is that stage three that you mentioned? Well, I'll back up just one second and uh, say that back in January or February uh, of this year, when people were asking me to explain what was going to happen with COVID, I said, what's going to happen is it is going to come in increasing waves. So the curve will be bumps that go up and it will increase in uh, virulency and uh, fatality rates. And I just want to point out that there's one person who called that correctly, and it was me, because that is exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point that out, that so far I've been, you know, my information is good, and so if people want to go on whether my information is good, I called that before anybody else did. So, so here's where we're at with that. So uh, we're in a sort of a five-stage process, and I want to preclude when I say this that, Some people get a little confused when I explain this and think that this is a completely planned and orchestrated process, and that is not the case. A lot of this is different things that have been building or moving towards, for in some cases, decades, that we knew were going to kind of all start to converge and probably happen all at once at the same time, which is probably this year, which is kind of what we start, what we have seen happen, but as even those of us who understood what was happening years ago, a lot of this was understanding a a series of predictable events more than it is about understanding some people pulling puppet strings. I just want to be clear about that. People can believe whatever they want, but I just want to be clear that a lot of this is not completely and totally orchestrated. It's a, a bunch of things that have all sort of happened at the same time. So when we talk about the five phases, we're talking about what we understand to be a from a beginning to sort of an end of this particular place that we're in, which is, is a complete chaotic upending of so much of what we consider the norms of our civilized social behavior, planetary behavior, that will create a lot of conflict, but a lot of interesting opportunities. So phase one of that is what we call the pandemic phase, which, uh, as I've also said, but it's not super important to make a point of, we think that there's more than one virus and more than one bacterial agent that are floating around and 
probably not being sub-identified individually and that everyone is just sort of labeling as COVID when people get sick with these different things. Because a lot of them are related to respiratory illnesses. So it's without actually being able to look at testing to know for sure what people are testing at and how they're conducting that, it would be much more difficult to say how many people are getting infected by virus number one, virus number two, or virus number three, or how many people are being affected by bacterial agent one, two, or three. So um, it's a con- it's a bunch of things. But that was the phase one part, and we've certainly seen that happen. Um, the phase two part is the civil disruption phase, which we have also certainly seen. Uh, the civil disruption phase is going to continue to grow. Uh, I will just say that Anger and anxiety on all sides is kind of at the point where I don't think, and none of the experts that I have talked to about this either think that any kind of fire hose or wet blanket is going to cool this off and that the people who are very, very angry and upset are going to continue to want bloodshed from who they perceive to be the other side of uh, what's happening. So the civil disruption phase is not over. It is going to continue to get worse, but we are well, well, well into the civil disruption phase. Um, stage three is uh, international military conflict. If you want to abbreviate and just call it the World War III phase, we can do that too. We are at the very, very doorstep of stage three, and we have been watching stage three get closer and closer and closer for months now. So um, Russian Air Force has been testing Alaskan U.S. airspace on an almost daily, weekly basis uh, for months now. Uh, the Chinese are continuing to stress uh, the border with India as well as their uh, anxiety and desire to take territory in the South China Sea. We have sent uh, three carrier groups into the South China Sea, which you can look up what's in a carrier group, and it's you know, a carrier, a bunch of destroyers, a bunch of frigates, a few submarines, and, you know, it, it's a bunch of ships. So three carrier groups is, you know, over, you know, 30 or 40, almost 50 ships that we sent to the South China Sea in preparation for this. Uh, Chinese aircraft continue to point laser targets at Navy ships. We continue to point, you know, laser targets at Chinese aircraft, which is a threatening gesture. Uh, when you do that. It's not hostile super until you shoot someone, but it's a threatening gesture. So there's a lot of saber rattling, as we say, happening there. Um, we are treaty bound. Uh, if anything happens in uh, if anything happens in Taiwan, if China invades Taiwan, we're treaty bound to assist. Uh, if Russia were to invade um, just about anywhere that they're thinking about that would threaten our sort of military positioning, which would mostly be the northern Syria, Afghanistan, but northern Syria is probably where we'd be looking at for that, or something even crazily aggressive on the Alaska border. But I don't think they're ready to quite push it quite that far. Um, Iran is probably going to, is imminently uh, going to attack Israel. Israel assassinated their chief nuclear scientist in a crazy assassination. And I say that in two ways. One, I, I don't think it was a good idea uh, tactically or politically to assassinate him. I, I, if someone had asked me, should we kill this guy? I'd say, no, that's probably a very bad idea. That'll just clean on a fire. But it was, it was James Bond level amazing. They used a drone car. There was no people in it. It was a remote controlled car with a mini gun in the back, like a little Gatling gun, all remote controlled, drove by, machine gun the crap out of this uh, bulletproof car with, you know, 
Teflon sable rounds or something that ripped right through it and killed this guy. And then the car blows up like a bomb. Wow. So it's an amazing assassination. I got to tip my hat to whoever pulled that off. However, it's just throwing gasoline on a fire. Is uh, Iran has already stated that they're going to retaliate. Um, Israel, I don't think they've taken credit for it, but everyone knows they did it. And so the imminent uh, assault, whatever it's going to be, is going to be Iran doing something to counterattack. Maybe it'd be a counter-assassination or something uh, to Israel. We are also treaty-bound if anything happens to Israel that we will also be involved in a military conflict with them. So any of those things get started, and we're going to have to be involved. And I would suggest that more than one of those things is going to happen. It's not like they're in line and China's going to wait for Iran or Iran's going to wait for China and they're going to take turns. Everyone's going to take their opportunity at the moment that they feel it's the most opportune, which as we come back and briefly discuss phase two, that's going to make it a lot easier for them. So I, I want to emphasize very quickly to any person who thinks that it's a good idea to engage in um, civil war style conflict in the United States of America at this time is an idiot. Because by doing that, by having this intense civil disruption between American citizens who disagree with each other greatly and have chosen to hate one another instead of argue about it like civil you know, citizens, um, is weakening us politically, it is weakening us internationally, and it is going to be the reason why these other countries decide to military take action because they will see that we are internally weak. So anyone who thinks that that's a good idea is a freaking moron and needs to understand that it is making us internationally vulnerable and will put us into the position and, and make us completely open to a World War III style attack from multiple countries that would never be in thought of with a strong, stable United States of America. I want to say that very quickly. So, but all of these things are imminent because nobody's putting a fire hose on them that's going to stop them. So the civil disruption will continue to destabilize uh, us internally. That will give the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, and the North Koreans the confidence that they can take military action and there will be less effectiveness for how we can respond to that. More than likely, they're going to want to do that before January 21st. They're going to, want to do that before there's a changeover in who's actually sitting in the Oval Office. They would rather do that probably with Donald Trump in office than they would want to do that with Joe Biden in office. Um, so all of those things are going to happen. I'm not looking forward to them happening. I kind of wish they wouldn't happen. I think there's all kinds of reasons to um, prefer that we could be civil human beings instead of having to poke each other in the eye. But that's where, the, that's where we are, and that's what's about to happen. And from what we understand, there's a domino effect there of internal weakness. So as we become internally weak, that will cause other countries to feel that they can aggress, which will make us internally weak as a planet. That will put us at, in a danger position from anything that might come from the outside. So the invasion that we're looking at happening is most likely going to be when that ha right after that happens. So sometime immediately or very soon after we enter the phase four, the World War III phase, we will see the alien invasion phase. Now, this is a tricky part to try and define what that is because I, I have had to say things about it in the past that were based on what bullet points that I was given to speak about in the past because of how we felt that we had to talk about it. So I have referred to it as a hoax invasion, but that's not correct. That is not an accurate way to say it. It, it may be accurate to say that 
there may be some human beings who we would consider not to be the good human beings uh, who may be inviting that to occur. Um, but it's, it's not going to be some kind of fake event where it's all holograms or people aren't really getting killed. There will be real aliens. They will be really on the ground. People will really die. Things will really blow up and they will really burn. So it's going to be as real as real can be in the sense that there will be real aliens, real people dying in real destruction. But what we also understand is a larger um, orchestration or guiding is really maybe even a better word as people have seen these inevitabilities crashing together, knowing that that means this other step, a fourth step of us being internally weak as a planet and seeing that that leaves some opportunity for perhaps some Terran, terrestrial-based, Earth-based humans who, again, we are not fond of. Let's maybe even say that they might even be the new Schwabenlanders, uh, might be the ones who are instigating this. And all of that's just going to happen, and we're all going to have to deal with it. But once we get through um, some of that, we fully anticipate the ability to bring allies into this picture that will be able to help us scurry away the alien invaders. And then we will be, that will be phase five is sort of the resolution phase. And then we're going to enter the reconstruction. I'd like to emphasize the big picture of this for people. Imagine it's the beginning of world war two and you're living at the beginning of world war two and Europe's being overrun by Nazis and the whole Japan has tried to invade Pearl Harbor and everyone's at war and it looks like the whole world's going to come apart. And if someone could say to you who had seen the future and say, look, here's what's going to happen. Whole world's going crazy. Uh, half of Europe is going to get obliterated. There's going to be, you know, a ton of damage, but, and it's going to last, only going to last a few years. And then there's going to be this amazing reconstruction and there's going to be this amazing period of growth and prosperity that will occur after that, that will be okay. And you trying to explain to someone, I know it's not going to be fun. It's going to suck. And, but it's not going to last forever. And what will come after will be much better than that. And that might be very difficult for someone in that place in say 1940 or 41, um, going, wow, I don't, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if I see that. Uh, I'm kind of scared of everything else happening and being bombed or... Uh, yeah, especially if that's know, happening on our killed soil. Killed by Nazis. So, right, and so, so that, would be a, that would be a challenging thing for someone to take a breath and go, okay, it's going to be okay. But that's kind of what I want to emphasize is that it's, it's going to suck for a minute and people will die, yep. But it won't last forever. It will only be a short number of years, I think, as we organize and defend our territory and get the allies we need to shush everybody away. Um, and then we get to enter, uh, again, the reconstruction phase. And that's probably the thing that we should be looking forward to because that's when we get to replace uh, the old technologies and stop burning fossil fuels for everything and uh, change some of the systems that we have so that we have a more functional, less corrupt system so that the intergalactic economy that we can enter, we'll be able to thrive in and we'll be able to participate in. And that requires us to get our act together a little bit and to make some changes 
as a planet and as a species and as individual nation states so that we can participate in a much bigger intergalactic economy that will create a post-reconstruction economic golden age that will never have been seen on this planet before. And that's something to look forward to. So if, if we're talking big picture, we're talking long-term, there's a future to look forward to. It's not going to be the end of the world. This is not the apocalypse. This is not the end. This is just a very, very difficult phase that we're entering into that we've never entered into before. And it's going to be crazy for a few minutes, but it will work out. And then we will have a post-reconstruction phase in which we'll all breathe a sigh of relief and go, I'm glad that's over and say our prayers for those who didn't make it because there will be a lot of people who won't make it. Well, let me back it up a little bit because I know you are an expert in mind control. And, you know, Mm -hmm. PK and I have talked about this a lot with the differences between the left and the right and the, the utter hatred that is going on. You see it a lot on social media. I mean, it's 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 absolutely mind-boggling. And a lot of this seems to be coming from people who are normally intelligent, reasonable. It's very shocking to see this level of hate and aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so here's my question. Is this a mind control thing? Is this somehow contributed to by some type of mind control program? Because it doesn't make sense that it would be at this level. So uh, propaganda, psychological operations are forms of mind control. Um, There are direct forms of mind control, frequency mind control, implants, and so forth. There's also softer mind control. Uh, Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propagandist, famously said, if you want to get people to believe something that's untrue, just repeat it over and over and over again until they believe it. Um, And that turns out to be very true for a lot of people. If they are tuned into a source of information that is simply repeating something over and over again that is not true, they will believe it. And this is going to be a hard pill to swallow, and I'm going to direct it at people of both sides on the left and right. Um, there is a tremendous amount of falsehood that is being projected and people believe a lot of things that are simply not true. And that's part of the problem is you have people on all sides who have been fed a steady diet of propaganda for about the last 25 years, based on what we understand has been the targeting for this so that you have factions, social psychological demographics who have been isolated based on the information that they seek out so that, as they seek information based on their social psychological demographic, they can be spoon fed information based on their social psychological demographic that they will accept, even if it's not true and eventually become through repetition and through social acceptance by other people in the same social psychological demographic who begin to believe that the same thing is true and repeat it to each other and talk about each other, how this thing must be true. And then that's how you get people who are completely separated and detached from reality. And so when that happens, then American citizens are no longer mad at other American citizens, right? You have groups of people who are absolutely convinced that they are the patriots and the other side is the treasonous traitors. But you, you, you can get that version from both sides and you can get them to explain in their very clear terms why they think that is true, whether the reasons that they believe that is factual or not. So there has absolutely been an effort to confuse people, to get them to believe things that are not true, 
in a way to poison their minds so that they will hate their fellow American citizens and demonize their fellow American citizens instead of cooperating and work together to divide and conquer. It's the oldest tactic in the book. So um, that is absolutely a factor here, absolutely a factor. And that's, again, why there's no putting a fire hose on this fire at this point. Is it, It's gone too out of control. It's a wildfire now. There's um, even the people who have been guiding this process are realizing they no longer have any control over it and that they no longer have the ability to tell the groups of people that they've been telling what to believe, what to believe, and that those groups of people are now believing whatever they want to believe based on their own social, psychological, demographic, regardless of what the people that they have come to trust as the information bearers tell them. So um, well, that's a out of control fire and it's going to go crazy and there's really nothing that anybody can do about that because people have been uh and again in every social psychological demographic has been convinced to believe in a reality that isn't quite real everyone and again people can can hate me for saying that but i i want to blanket that and say it is true of everyone and every social psychological demographic and we've also been going through a dumbing down of america also i mean there's a lack of critical thinking I mean, you see what's mm-hmm. being taught in the schools today, and I just scratch my head. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, this whole cancel culture, let's forget about what happened and let's try to pretend it didn't. It, it, there's just, a, I mean, the kind of you know, basic skills that we learned in school when we were kids, they just seem to be long gone. And what's replacing it, it does seem to be more like you're going to be socialized the way we want you to be, which is very dangerous. Um, I actually don't think that's what's happening at all. Let let me tell you what I think is happening with education. So first of all, let me say that teachers are not to blame. Teachers are doing God's work. Teachers are attempting to turn barbaric little uncivilized children into civilized citizens that can function (laughs) in society with some critical thinking skills and some tools that they can function with. So teachers are doing God's work, and I don't ever want to hear anybody bad-mouthing teachers because teachers are not the problem. Teachers teach what they're given to teach or or what they're mandated to teach or what they're required to teach. And so in many cases where this all really, really went horribly wrong is uh, with a man named George W. Bush and it's something called No Child Left Behind, which sounded nice. Oh, that sounds good. No Child Left Behind. That's great. We don't want to get children left behind. But it what it completely did was it, it gutted the education system as we knew it and it turned it into a thing preparatory system so that teachers are now obligated to spend all of this time teaching their students test preparation instead of all of the normal learning things, practical application, critical thinking things that many of us learned when education was a little better. And if you want, anybody wants to look this up, you can look at when we were, you know, fifth in math and now we're, you know, 23rd in math. And when we were you know, second in science, and now we're 25th in science. And so anyone who looks at, you know, the decline of where our standing as a country and our education system in those areas has been can see that there's been a, a steady movement towards um, a system that doesn't function, that doesn't teach students much of anything and continues to produce citizens who know less and less and less, which then makes them really vulnerable and easy pickings for these psychological operations because if people had actually learned facts in school, there's a lot of things that they wouldn't be able to be lied to about because they'd actually know what the facts were. 
But exactly. if people don't yes. know what the facts are, then you can tell them anything. You can tell them anything, and they're going to go with their gut. They're not going to use their brain. They're not going to use their critical thinking. They're going to, actually, they're going to go with what they feel is right. And I, and I want to emphasize as a teacher who teaches psionics and teaches intuition, um, I teach my students to never, ever, 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 ever presume that their intuition or that their gut feelings are correct. Never. You never presume they're correct because most of the time they're wrong. And you have to use a, a, a developed sense of psionic uh, intuition, ability, and, and discipline along with critical thinking to know whether your intuitive feelings are correct or not. But most of the time when people have an intuition or a gut feeling, most of the time that initial feeling is wrong. And so people need to not go with their initial gut feelings and not go with their initial intuition and they need to check that at the door and they need to stop and use critical thinking skills to compare what the facts are with whatever they may be feeling and recognize that their feelings may disagree with facts. And that's when you got to tell your feelings, hey, feelings, uh, facts don't care about you and the facts are more important. And you got to tell that to yourself, not other people. It tells yourself that your feelings don't matter as much as the facts do and you really have to use your critical thinking. So it's all been a downhill slide from there for sure. But it's, it's mostly a program that was started by George W. Bush that screwed up the entire education system by putting the focus on testing instead of skills. So, well, that makes sense. And that was, you know, that was 20 years ago. Um, so we've had a whole generation who has grown up with that education system now and is, you know, now 25th and like I said, 25th in math, you know, 21st in science or whatever the numbers are, they're pathetic. You can look them up, but there's no reason why we as the United States of America should be anywhere out of the top 10 for those things. There, you shouldn't be. And if we're out of the top 10 for those things, someone should be saying, we need an education department that's actually going to make sure that schools are funded, that they have skills, uh, te- you know, motivated skills, teaching uh, based learning, and that they're not need motivated towards testing. And I want to say the most important thing that if, if we want our education system to work, and every teacher I know would agree with me when I say this, the one thing that we need to do to fix education in this country is fix teacher-student ratios. We have let more students per classroom over decades now to the point where you have teachers in junior high and high school who have classrooms packed with 40 and 50 kids, and that is ridiculous. Kids cannot learn in an environment, and more importantly, a teacher cannot teach an environment when there are too many children. At some point, we have to fix teacher-student ratios, encourage teachers encourage people to become teachers, pay them what they're worth instead of the garbage that we pay teachers to expect them to do the best work that they can to raise and teach our children to be functional adults while they're in school and to learn things, pay them what they're worth and make sure that there's more teachers. So you've got under 20 kids per classroom. If we do that, we can fix whatever else is wrong with the education system. But I guarantee any other fix to the education system without fixing teacher-student ratios and without increasing teacher salaries to make them competitive, the education system will never be fixed without those two things. Yeah, Ever. well, that, again, adds those up. That makes sense. And, and we should have this be different for our children. I mean, that's anyone who critical. Anyone who wants to disagree with me on that, ask a teacher. Ask a teacher what needs to be done, and they will tell you teacher-student ratios, teacher pay. Those are the two things that need to fix education. Well, that sense. sounds good. 
I've known a lot of teachers in my life. We've had these conversations. And, and <laughs> what has happened with teacher-student ratios is ridiculous. I know teachers who, who just, I mean, when it's 20 kids, right, you've got a certain number of smart kids, a certain number of middle kids, and a certain number of, of you know, kids who are struggling. And it's difficult enough to work with the struggling kids in a classroom with 20 kids than in a classroom with 50 kids. In a classroom of 50 kids, you, you have no chance to work with all those struggling kids in that room in a, class, in a period of classroom. You can't do it. It is mathematically impossible. So we absolutely just have to fix that and bite the bullet and stop cutting education spending and actually look at it like we look at defense spending, that it's a national security issue, that if we want America to be secure, we have to have people who have been to school and learned some things. And we have to look at education like defense and actually spend the money, teacher-student ratios, make sure that teachers are getting paid something that's a lot more comparable to what they should be getting paid for the work that they're doing. And, and again, and to attract more high-quality teachers to the field, because if you pay people better, you attract higher-quality people to the field. If you pay people garbage, then, you know, people are like, well, I'd like to become a teacher, but it pays crap. I, I better go do this so that I can actually make a living and feed my family. If you made teacher pay competitive, more people would want to be teachers. So um, we have to be willing to stop saying that we should cut education spending and instead add zeros to the education spending. I mean, just add zeros to whatever we're spending right now and spend a whole lot more. Because that's a national security issue. Qualified children. I'm sorry, go ahead. I said we certainly have a lot more qualified children to be able to to go out and face the world. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I think if we want the country that we have, the nation we have to function better, if you want – let me put it this way. If I was a business owner and I wanted more – qualified workers to work for my business, I would want the education system to make better workers for me. I would want my workers to be smarter and a little more educated and a little more knowledgeable and, you know, not drink paint thinner because they didn't learn that in school. Um, and and <laughs> if, if, I were, uh, if I were a police officer, I would want more education because that means there's going to be less criminals and that means my job is going to be less difficult because more people are going to have skills to get jobs instead of no skills and feel like they got to go commit crimes. I mean, pretty much you ask any person who does something in the world we live in and they're going to benefit from smarter, more educated citizens. So it's infrastructure. We, we have to stop looking at education is some kind of survival of the fittest thing. It, it's, it should not be that. It should absolutely be an investment in infrastructure for national security and for everything. It, it's an investment in every business. It's an investment in every small business. It's an investment for law enforcement. It's an investment for hospitals it's because fewer people will do dumb things and you know, have dumb accidents that cut their thumbs off um, because they learned some safety protocols in, you know, in school. Um, it, it benefits everybody. It absolutely benefits everybody. It benefits to the point where GDP goes up, you know, time loss goes down, money that we're paying for all of these things because we have people who can't work or function at their jobs, that we don't pay all that money because we have more qualified people that can do the work that we need people to do. So everyone benefits from a better education system. Every level of, of economy benefits. Every level of society benefits from it. 
national security benefits from it. And that really, as a military officer, most importantly, the military benefits from it. If we have more qualified, educated citizens, that also means that the quality of our soldiers and officers in our military will also go up. So let's look at it as a the rising tide that lifts all boats is education. So we should be putting a lot more time and energy into education because it's the root of everything, right? Because putting information into people's brains is what makes them either more functional or less functional and makes for better citizens or worse citizens. And it's the, it is the very core and backbone of what we are. We're not a nation of cars. We're not a nation of houses. We're not a nation of businesses. We're not a nation of dollar bills. We are a nation of, we are a nation of citizens. And so at, the most fundamental, the most important resource and the most important infrastructure resource in this country are its citizens. And that means it's children, right? So the, ch- the little citizens, the children, we should be putting the most time, the most energy, the most investment into them so that they become the best Americans that we can have. Makes perfectly good sense. Yeah, it would be great. It would be absolutely great. You make a lot of good points with that. So let's go back to we are a nation divided at this point. And as you're saying, it would be madness to try to create some type of a civil war with what's going on around us in these international uh, waters and other other places in the skies. So what I've seen is there's a lot of burning down the cities that are very radical, and the governors that don't want to do anything about it, defund the police, all of that kind of stuff. So what does a citizen do about that? I mean, if you have a business in Portland, Oregon, or if you have a business in Seattle, I mean, you're facing a lot of trouble there. So how do you how do you manage that? How do you try to work through that? Oh, I, I don't even know where I would begin to make recommendations on how to solve those problems because I think, again, a lot of those problems are are the core of those problems are infrastructure problems. The core of those problems are corruption problems and that fixing those things is, is much more complicated um, and, and I, I think trying to discuss on how, what people should try and deal with as far as the symptomology, which is angry people in the streets, that's really a symptom of something else. Um, I, I, I certainly think that people have a right to defend what is theirs. Um, and, and, and this is just a, a delicate area where, you know, people have to be very careful on the, where you draw the line on doing harm to another person versus property damage. And and I want to emphasize that those two things are not the same. Property damage is not a good thing, but stabbing another person is uh, a crime to a human being that could cost a human life and property damage doesn't kill a person. So while I'm not saying it's okay for people to go around doing property damage, I also want to make it clear that it's not okay to shoot someone for throwing a brick through a window. That's not okay. That's a mercenary murder is what that is. If you shoot someone because they threw a brick through a window, you were a mercenary and you murdered someone who did not commit a crime that has a death penalty to it. Um, so there, there's a point where people need to dial it back, you know, a little bit on all sides. So, but again, telling people to do that is one thing and expecting, you know, well, that's to, be able it. to do that is another. And, and also because you're saying that all of this, very you know, our cities 
in, on fire like this. It uh, does absolutely make us look like a bunch of idiots to the international well, community. Look at well, what's going me, on in California where they out. want let to me, release. Let me make a fair point Ale. to um, some point. I'm sorry? In California where they're talking about release, early release of some of the people in jail. Some of them have quite serious crimes, and they're wanting to turn them all loose. It doesn't make good sense. It's like opening Pandora's well, box. Well, there's already places that they've yeah, there's already places that they've had to do that uh, because of the coronavirus in Nevada and so places, and and it has caused problems. Um, and and it's a it's a horrible catch twenty two because you have people who are serving their time for crimes, but again, most of these people aren't murderers who are serving their time in prison. Yes, there are some murderers, but a lot of them have committed crimes that are not murderous crimes, so you, they don't deserve to die for the crimes that they've committed. They deserve to do a period of punishment and penance, which they are mm-hmm. serving their time mm-hmm. doing. But if you're all of a sudden they're at a risk for dying of a of a virus, then people are in this quandary of do I let some of these people out, some of the lesser offenders out, hoping that they don't die from a virus that they don't necessarily deserve to die from because they're in a confined space with a bunch of other people that could be highly infectious, versus you know uh, public safety. Again, that, that that's a a burden that I would not want on my table to try and solve right. or, or figure out what the right thing to do is because there's no answer that you're, you're going to not break eggs. You know, it, it, those are choices where whatever you do, something bad's going to happen. It's just a question of whether you made the right choice so that less bad things happen than the other choice where worse things might happen. And, and those are just crappy choices. And there's a lot of those crappy choices that we're, that we're mm-hmm. at the moment, but I want, well, I want to point out uh, a, a legitimate concern have additional crimes that have been worse than what they were set up for the first time. It, it's a, right, you know, right. it's mind-boggling what what steps to take. Right. right, but I would I would like to bring up a, a very legitimate point that many of these protesters have against police violence, which mm-hmm. is that a Department of Homeland Security uh, study determined that there are over 93 police departments and sheriff's departments in the United States of America that have been infiltrated by uh, white supremacist or neo-Nazi gangs whose specific purpose is to do harm to people of oh. color. So that's not an imagined thing. That's not a fake thing. That's not a thing that doesn't, that's not real. That's real in over 93 departments across the country. Now, I also want to say that's not all the departments. So what we have in when we talk about police corruption is a problem that has to be fixed. Okay, I, I just want to address that for just a second. It has to be fixed. It has to be. There are some good cops. I know some. They're People mm-hmm. who I, I've known good cops who've given their lives in the line of duty, who were good people, who would do anything to help another person and have sacrificed a ton to do the job that they do, which is often dangerous and often not thanked enough. And is I, I, I am thankful and grateful to anyone who decides to take on the responsibility to put on a uniform and a badge and try and protect the public. So that's a fact. We have to respect the good police right. officers. But Anyone who's a police officer knows there are three types of police officers, and I'm going to tell you what three types there are. There are good cops. That's one type. The other type is something called RAWs, retired on duties. They're not bad cops. They're not really great cops. They kind of do the minimum that they can get away with to get their job done, and they're just waiting for their retirement. They're not bad people, but they're also part of the problem because the other category we have are bad cops. And there are bad cops who plant evidence. There are bad cops who sexually assault suspects. There are bad cops who uh, frame people for murder. 
They're bad cops who do some terrible, horrible, horrible things right up to murder and get away with it because of some of the protections that police officers have in the line of duty. We just have to fix these things so that the public trust can be returned. As long as the public trust is being violated in this way, why should people stand by and tolerate? I don't think that they should. Now, I'm not, in, I'm not encouraging or in favor of people burning buildings down to this effect, but based on the evidence of what we have, which is that there's some very bad cops and some very bad departments who do some very horrible things, including serial murder of people of color because they are neo-Nazi white supremacist gang members who have you know, SS tattoos on their bodies and everything. This was in the report. This is not made up. This, was, this is an actual you know, Department of Homeland Security report that gathered this data, and we know this is a fact. So I would very much like to see us come together on this one and understand that this is a part of our community, police officers, that we need to be supportive of. But we also need to understand and, and require that bad cops are held accountable. And we have to ask our friends, the good cops, and even the rods, the retired on duties, to stand up for this fellow citizens and the people who have lost trust in law enforcement and start taking a little bit of a stronger stand against the bad cops. Because until we root out bad cops, we're not ever going to fix the anger that people have over a completely unfair and in most cases racially motivated violence by the bad cop vein of law enforcement. So that's a realistic uh, picture of what's going on. And again, that's a difficult problem to solve. I, I, where, where I would start with that is polygraphs for everyone. I would you know, institute a policy that every single cop, every single law enforcement officer, every deputy, every sheriff is to take a polygraph and get asked a lot of questions. And you start weeding out the bad eggs with polygraph exams. <laughs> That is what I would do. Uh, polygraph exams are given to military intelligence community people annually. Uh, you can't be an FBI agent without getting an annual polygraph. You can't be uh, an intelligence agent without getting an annual polygraph. There are military intelligence agencies that you have to get, you know, biannual, twice uh, a year polygraphs. So um, why, why are we not giving them to people who are the most responsible people at the community level to make sure that they're behaving properly? Because we, we just have to be realistic and say that not everyone who puts that uniform and that badge on is a good person. And we want to trust the good cops. We want to have faith in law enforcement. We want to have a positive relationship between citizens and law enforcement. I think that that's the thing that creates a healthy society and a healthy civilization. When we're talking about a healthy American, we're also talking about protecting our own national security. I think that that became, again, becomes one of those things that if you really look deeply at it, it's a national security risk because it is the reason why you have riots is because of that corruption vein through law enforcement. So that's a national security risk. It has to be fixed so that citizens can have faith in law enforcement again, and we can have that positive relationship without uh, people going down the street thinking that they're going to get arrested or beat up or shot just because of the wrong color. And I have plenty of friends who are not white and, and many of them are terrified uh, to be in a car or walking down the wrong street at the wrong time because they have friends and family who have been uh, beaten and in some cases killed for just walking down the street while brown. Yeah, well, we'd and, love and so to see, see I, all it, of this, A realistic you know. approach is, is that we have to root out what's bad and, and make sure that we don't 
throw the baby out with the bathwater and make sure that we understand that we have a lot of wonderful, dedicated men and women of law enforcement who have given their time and their lives uh, to protect us and protect us at the, the communities in which we live. And we, we can't demonize everybody because there's some bad eggs, nor can we give everyone a pass because there's some good ones. We have to make sure that we're using our critical thinking here in the situation and being reasonable and having an expectation where good people are rewarded and praised for being good and bad people are punished and not rewarded or praised for being bad. And we have to make sure that that standard is held for law enforcement personnel like everybody else. Yeah, there have to be consequences and rewards. So yeah, absolutely. let's go to what everybody's waiting for us to go back to to talk about, because this is what I'm getting on text, is the alien presence. So it was predicted, mm-hmm. I guess, and I was waiting for a phone call from one of our friends tonight about this, because he said, please ask Captain Kramer if this alien event is a false flag because it was predicted, I believe, by Von Braun years ago that this would be used against us. But you're saying it's not a false flag, it's not holograms, it's not lights in the sky that are being generated by some Disney studio. This is the real thing. But they are they do have a human invitation. Yeah, again I I have been wary to point a finger at that, but I think it's time to just point a finger at that. And if we're going to blame somebody, that blame has to go square on the shoulders of the new Schwabenlanders. Who are they? Oh, those are the Nazis from Germany that moved to Antarctica to new Schwabenland in Antarctica and then went to the moon. And now they have a colony somewhere else, but uh, and they have ships as part of the covert military space program. And so I could go into a whole explanation about who they are and why they're there where they are. I mean, I've talked about it, but it's a bit of a story. But uh, that's the new Schwabenlanders. They're essentially just, you know, Nazis because they're Nazis. Right. Yes. And I know yeah. last time you were on the show, we did talk about people that have gone missing. And that was one of the, the questions I had. Could they be behind it? These these Nazis from Antarctica? Um, you know, they're not the boogeyman, so I, I don't think it's fair to blame them for everything, but they are the first person. If something turns up missing, you should look at them first and be suspicious. So I think it's fair to be suspicious of them for everything, but not fair to blame them for everything without proof. No, absolutely. But what is the benefit to them to invite hostile uh, ETs Either from underneath or from above, to oh, they to would come. hope. Yeah, they they would hope in that chaos that they would be able to finally uh, take over the world and instill the Fourth Reich, which is their grand Nazi dream. So that's what they, they want to accomplish, can. and they would oh. they they would yeah. use these uh, extraterrestrials as allies in this. Yep, help them take over the world. So it wouldn't be just us that they're after. You're talking about a global invasion. Yep. Oh, yeah. This is going to be everywhere. This isn't going to just be here. This is going to be everywhere. It's going to be around the whole world. And when we spoke before, I know you said these are not the pretty-looking Pleiadians that are like six feet tall with blonde hair and blue eyes. This has a different look to it. Oh, yeah. They're giant bugs. They're going to be very scary-looking. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. 
<laughs> oh my God in heaven! Just... Oh, so God. not even the the mantis ones. These are just ugly bugs. Yeah, they're pretty ugly. They're they're going to be scary looking. What's their weak point? Uh, pretty much the head, pretty much the the, the cranium. Their exoskeletons are really thick everywhere else. So you know you can either use chemical warfare, fire, shoot them in the head, or bombs or something. I mean, there's you know they're they're vulnerable to some conventional weaponry, but a, a lot of uh, small caliber bullets will not penetrate their exoskeleton. Did you encounter this type when you were off-world? I have not encountered this type personally. I've been given a briefing on them, uh, so I know quite a bit about them, but it's it's not someone I have personally experienced or faced in battle yet. Mm-hmm. Well, they sound pretty yep. formidable, and they're also very tall, right? They're large size. Uh, I I believe they're going to be upwards of, you know, over six feet, maybe almost seven feet tall, maybe bigger. But I, I think that's about, we're talking about seven feet, probably, you know, head to ground, head to the, from, from the ground where their feet are touching all the way to the top of their head, about seven feet. And they must be more advanced than we are with technology. So what would they use for weapons? What would be their weapon of choice against us? Uh, they'll, they'll use some smaller bugs because uh, bugs like to use smaller bugs for weapons. But um, I'm told that they have some kind of a some kind of a melee weapon that's kind of like a spear or a spear with a blade on the end that's also electrified or has some kind of plasma, you know, torch on it or something. I don't know. It's they seem kind of whatever they are. They're they're they're, they're kind of barbaric sort of medieval style, you know, tools. I don't know that they're going to use plasma rifles. I think they have them, but I'm not sure that they're going to use them. I think they prefer to uh, swarm and fight up close uh, if I'm to understand the briefings correctly. So we'll see exactly. I mean, this is one of those situations where what I've been told about the species, I have to put a little caveat in that I cannot guarantee that this intelligence is 100% correct. As the information I've been given, I sure hope it's correct. Um, but other intelligence that I can give, I can say, oh, yeah, I'm sure about this. But some of the information I have about them, I have to put the caveat. I have been given this information. I sure hope it's accurate. But if it's not, don't blame me because I said I wasn't sure it was 100%. Right. And where would they come from? Would they come from underneath? You know, I know some oh, of these. Oh, no, they'll come from the skies. They'll have landers. They will come from, the, come skies. from the skies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, this doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> no, it oh, no, it won't be. It won't be any fun at all. It will be. It will really suck a lot, and that's just kind of the way it's going to be. It's going to be a very jagged pill for everyone to swallow, and there's uh, no spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. It's just going to suck. Well, especially because from what I understand about the Nazi base in Antarctica, that they have already a lot of advanced weaponry. And so they oh, would yeah. turn they that a, on us fleet. as well. They have a full space fleet. Yeah they have, a, yeah, they have a full space fleet. So they're very well organized. They they have a solid structure, uh, infrastructure, military intelligence infrastructure. They're quite a, they're a sizable organization. Yeah. 
But they're not they enough to take over the world. It's not enough. What if, I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, how long have they been in existence that they actually have been able to do what they do as they are? I mean, since the 40s, since the, the 1940s, 40s? When, when they moved to Antarctica in 1945 or 44, 45 at the end of World War II. So you were saying, Captain, that they didn't—they don't have the numbers to basically do a. Control. No, not at all. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they've never. Basically, here's what happened. So the Nazis moved to Antarctica, began to develop their, you know, fleet of alien reproduction vehicles, um, which was what was able to fend off the Navy fleet that went down uh, Operation High Jump with um, Admiral Byrd that whole event. But we had also been given some ET technology as well. And so we were also developing very rapidly our own tools and our own vehicles and so forth. So while they were developing, we were playing catch up pretty quickly. And we were spending, to be honest, more time, more money, more resources than they were. So we, we there was an arms race there that we were outspending um, them on. So we caught up pretty quickly. And by 1953, it became very clear that whatever they had and whatever we had was not going to result in a winner-take-all fight. So that was when the peace agreement was established between the Neuschwabenlanders and the rest of the world. And the Neuschwabenlanders were allowed to be entered into the United Nations secretly. So uh, they have an ambassador, they have a chair, it's just not on the floor with everyone else, but they do have uh, representation with the United Nations. And essentially then when the global effort to create a space program started, well, at that point, they're, you know, sort of in the agreed group of United Nations, you know, we've had a peace agreement. So they were a participant in creating the covert military space program, but they've never stopped being Nazis. They've never stopped having their ambitions to take over the world. They just by always just been biding their time to hope for a moment when they can, you know, rise up and take over the world and, instill the fourth Reich into place, which will never happen for a lot of reasons, mostly math. Um, but they're certainly ambitious to, to and focused on that goal. So the moment that they have an opportunity, or really I should say the moment that an opportunity appeared to them, such as this, then yeah, of course they were going to take it. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right. So they have this civilization that's small, but lives in Antarctica, and they—I guess—they continue to work oh, on their technology. Oh no, no, no! They've moved on. No, they—they have moved on from Antarctica quite some time ago. They have another colony on another planet that's actually outside the solar system. Okay. And they also have a colony on Mars. They have a colony on Mars, but it's not that big. But their their main colony they actually uh, established on another planet that's outside the solar system. I don't know exactly where it is, so I couldn't tell you if they, if they asked me. When you were on Mars, did you encounter them when you were on Mars? Say again? You were on Mars. Did you encounter this colony when you were on Mars? Oh, we never got to go to the colonies personally, so I I never got to personally experience the colonies. Uh, Tony Rodriguez was, uh, uh, I mean, if you know who Tony Rodriguez is, um, he was there. He he was basically a a forced labor slave worker uh, for them for quite a while. He was stationed there. He would know way more about it than I would. I've heard him talk about it a bit. We've chatted about it, but he was there, so he'd be the person to ask if you want to know about the Nazi colony. Ugh, I don't know if I do. 
<laughs> but it is fascinating. Yeah, because I mean, we know they didn't it's, just it's disappear, but yeah. they're yeah. they're here. They're here and there, apparently. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, how? Here's another question for you, because we've done, we've heard about this false flag stuff. That you know, we can easily be misled. We're not trained like you are to recognize these kinds of things. How would well, we know? Well, keep in mind that telling people that there's going to be a hoax invasion or a fake invasion is actually a better way to get people prepared for a real invasion than telling people there's going to be a real invasion because that kind of softens the blow psychologically. People can kind of absorb it a little bit and go, it's just going to be fake and they can kind of accept it and they can work with it a little bit mentally. So there is a psychological reason to tell people that there's going to be a fake invasion before there's going to be a real invasion. There's a, there's a psychological reason for that. Right. So there, there might be a benefit in that. So, but it's one of those things that we, I'm saying it's one of those things that when we look at the impact of large swaths of social psychological demographics, sometimes you look at what you have to tell people because you don't want them to burn, you know, buildings down. And it, you kind of feel like if we tell them this, they're going to burn buildings down. If we tell them to it this way, maybe they won't. And so it's not always that you're trying to lie to people or manipulate them or, or confuse them. Sometimes you're really telling them what you think is the thing you have to tell them so that they don't burn buildings down. It's not, it's not always a nefariously motivated thing when you lie to people. Interesting. So you did mention that there would be allies that we would find. Now we do know, we've heard many times, there are colonies of aliens here on earth. They are Mm -hmm. not out in the open very often, but they're here and they're not against Mm -hmm. us necessarily. So in a situation like this, would they come forward and be able to offer assistance? Um, I have asked about that, if, they, if we have any information on that right now, and I was told that um, there was no available data uh, for me to look at on that. So if there's any conversations that we've been having with them about their involvement, I'm unaware of them or unable to know what they are. Mm-hmm. And now you talk about the golden age that would come after this, where mm-hmm. some people survive, some oh, do not. Yeah. And most people, I know will. you've been working most on a medical. It's, it's not going to be like half the population. It's not going to be anything like that. So most people will survive, but yeah, it's, a bunch of people are going to die. There's no question about that. Okay, so you also have been working on a medical device yourself over the years. And is that going to be part of the golden age where we have a machine that can really produce a rapid healing experience? Oh, we're talking about a whole list of advanced technologies that will get integrated into the civilization and society that we have that will change everything. I really want to emphasize that 10 years after the reconstruction, we will live in a world that will very barely resemble the world we live in now or lived in 20 years ago. Barely. It will barely resemble it. And that's a good thing. That turns out to be a very good thing. Some people are going to be very uncomfortable about some of those changes. And some people are going to want to burn stuff down because they're uncomfortable about those changes. But those people are going to have to suck rocks and deal with it because changes are happening and they're for everyone's benefit. So, but we will be a very, very different place. Right. So we'll have access to all kinds of different technology that would help us with health, with uh, transportation. It sounds like you're talking about 
not using oh, fossil fuels anymore. Oh, faster international travel, intergalactic, yeah, faster international travel, faster intergalactic travel, affordable intergalactic travel, cheaper international travel, cheaper energy. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and as well as, you know, an, an, an steady enhancement of advanced medical technologies in every field, you know. It, it's what gonna, about it's longevity of life? Will that stay the same as it is Begin? now, or will it uh, flourish? I'm sorry, can you repeat that question, please? The longevity of life, will that be increased, or will that stay pretty much as it is now? Oh, no, longevity will be greatly increased. We, we're very closely entering an age where people who want to live for hundreds of years will have the option. Oh, that That's could be very uh, problematic one way or the other. <laughs> can we afford can we, Oh, can we afford I, I mean, let me tell you what's going to happen with that. That's when we're actually going to evolve as a species and as a civilization when our citizens no longer are born, live, and die in less than 100 years. When our citizens are born, live, and die in centuries, everything will change like Type 1 civilization, type, we'll, we'll be moving well on towards type 2 civilization by that time if, if we increase our lifespan into the hundreds. It will change everything. Now, there's an awkward period for that where we have to deal with some stuff, but it also makes people, it, believe me, when, when, when you know you're going to be around for another few hundred years, you think differently about the environment, you think differently about the economy, you think differently about your life and your family and your future, and we think differently collectively about our lives and our future and the environment we live in. And, you know, you really can't just think, oh, well, we don't have to fix our environmental problems. Someone else will do that, and I'll be long dead. Well, if you're going to be here for a few hundred years, yeah, then you, you want to want to fix them because you're going to need to breathe the air. Uh, and drink the water in a few hundred years, and it's not going to happen if we don't clean up and fix the environment, stop polluting it, stop pumping fossil fuels and stuff into it. So um, it, it will cause a tremendous positive change. But, uh, it's a, you know, again, it can be a little awkward to sort out how you start dealing with um, population numbers, birth rates. All that will shift. I mean, when, when people realize that they can live to be, 500 and wait to, have, wait to have kids until they're in their three or four hundreds if they want. No sense in getting oh, to it early. Lord. You can still be complete. <laughs> you can still be completely fertile and have children and be in a young, youthful body to chase after babies when you're in your three hundreds. So that changes why people have children, when people have children, changes the demographics of adults, middle-aged, senior citizens. Will it'll completely change the demographics because we'll have age demographics that we've never had before. We'll all of a sudden have psychological demographics of people who are in their hundreds and 150s and 200s. And that will, you know, change everything and, and in kind of a drastic way, but I want to emphasize not in a bad drastic way at all and in a kind of way that just makes us look more like the more advanced civilizations that are already out there. Will we be able to afford ourselves? Let's put it that way. How's that? Say that again, please. Will we be able to afford ourselves financially, et cetera? Because well, that's going to be one of the interesting questions because one of the things we're going to have to sort out is our economy issues. And if we're going to enter into type one civilization, which believe me when I say when all of this transitions, that's going to be the only thing that matters is how we get to type one civilization. Uh, we're going to have to face some things. 
about how we end poverty and how we end homelessness and how we end uh, people not having access to health care and how we make sure that everyone has a place to live and everyone has health care and everyone has mental health care and no one is left to be homeless and slip through the cracks because type one civilizations don't do that. Type one civilizations don't have homeless people. They don't have poor people. They don't have people who can't get health care. They don't have people who are standing on the corner begging for money so that they can eat. That doesn't exist because every single citizen on the planet has a stake, a literal financial stake in the planet. So imagine if when you were born, you entered into a contract with the powers that be in the planet that because you're a citizen of that planet, you you are a stakeholder, like a stockholder in that planet. And therefore, a certain number of resources, a certain number of accessibility to things, a certain number of food, water, minerals belongs to you as a person. And so that you get a dividend from the society at large for being being there. Uh, For anybody who's from Alaska might know how this works. Um, there are a number of tribes who, because the oil companies get to pump out oil on their land, they get a check every month. They get a check every month because that's their resource. They have a stake and a stock in that land. And for someone else to have access to that land and make money off of it, they got to get paid. Every person who has a right to that land, every member of that tribe gets a check every month. And so if think about what would happen if just, beca- just because you were, a, you were born here, that you had a stake and a stock in the planet that entitled you to a certain number of resources and a financial amount of resource every month so that you could never be homeless, you could never starve, you could never be without health care, and you would have every education opportunity to your maximum ability of learning. So when we decide to change all of those things, then it'll all work out. It'll all be fine. The only reason that any of these changes wouldn't work is it because we didn't fix the economic structure that still allows for poor and homeless people when, like I said, type one civilizations don't let that happen. It doesn't exist. Every person gets a place to live. Every person has a home. Every person has food. Every person is, has clothes. Every person has education to their ability and everyone gets to participate. So no one gets left out. No one gets slipped through the cracks. There's no system that says uh, if you don't, the whip doesn't crack over your head. You don't get busy that you're going to starve to death or be homeless. There is no such thing in a type one civilization. And some people are going to have to come to terms with that, that that's actually a healthy thing for a civilization to do, to actually make sure that people aren't running a hamster wheel of survival. That's one of the most important things that people are going to have to realize. And I realize a lot of people don't understand that, but getting people out of survival consciousness is incredibly important for evolution. And as long as people feel like, they have to work a job that they hate doing something that's possibly dangerous for their health or well-being in order to make sure that themselves and their families are fed or they'll be homeless and starve, that that's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, and then other species would look at that and say, wow, that is so amoral. That is so unethical. Why would you allow that to happen to your fellow species? Why would you let that happen to your fellow human beings? Why would you think that that was okay to allow other, your fellow human beings to suffer like that? Why would you think it was okay to allow a single other human being to starve? Wow, what's wrong with you people that you would allow that to happen, that you think it's okay that people can starve and have to live in tents uh, because they don't have a place to live? There are plenty of evolved species that look at that and think that we have a long way to go until we understand that every single human being deserves to be respected and cared for. 
every single human being. How about time travel? Do we have access to that now? We sure do. Uh, it's regulated by Time Corps, so not everybody has access, and I don't see a time in a future when that will ever be the case where everyone has access to it. Only people uh, either in Time Corps and or people who in the, in the military intelligence community that have a reason to have access to that technology will ever have access to that technology. It's too dangerous to let civilians have it, but we have it. Oh, yeah. And how is it used? Um, well, chronovisors are probably the most uh, used technology that we use that's related to time travel. And a chronovisor basically allows you to put on a helmet with a, vi- with a view visor inside of it that you can look at any event in any time. So you can look back at, um, you know, something like uh, the fall of Rome and actually report on what actually happened and take pictures of it and take audio of it and actually have audio video of the fall of Rome or the Trojan War uh, with a chronovisor. So chronovisors can actually get us an a accurate version of what happened in history that's 100% because it's not based on guesswork or somebody's interpretation. We can actually put on a helmet that gets us an audio video image of that place in time in history that is perfect. So that's probably the most common thing that's used. Um, We also have the ability to ships that can shift uh, temporally, move forward or backward in time. That's something that's regulated, though. And if you just kind of start jumping around through time or space without authorization, you can get in big trouble and cause temporal problems. Uh, And then there are some more advanced forms of time control that I understand far less uh, that have to do with nudging major events at major temporal nodal points that can change history or or change, you know, entire realities. Uh, But that's not really my specialty, and I can't say I understand it too well. But uh, people call it blank slate technology or BST, if people who follow that kind of thing know what that is or have heard of that. So the benefit to the military to have this type of technology is what? Everything every advantage um, that could possibly be. I mean, the the advantage of being able to move, to see through time and move through time as a wartime tool is priceless. It's it's unfathomably priceless. Wouldn't you see these things taking place for the average person of today? Um, Sorry, say that question again, please. When do you see this type of thing taking place for the average person of today? Yeah, we'll see some of these technological things start to enter in during the war because we're going to need better weapons and we're going to need better body armor and we're going to need ships and things. So there's going to be some rapid advancement and deployment of some of these tools into the military. Uh, And then in the reconstruction phase, though, is probably when the civilian population is going to see or have access to any of that when the changes are going to happen that civilians will actually be able to benefit in that in any real way. It's going to be in the post-war, post-reconstruction phase. Unless you, you want to sign up and join the military now and place. hold a plasma rifle. Mm-hmm. When, when do you see the war uh, that we project at this point in time taking place? 
How soon? And it, we're, we're months away. We're, le- we're some months away. It's going to be really, really soon. If I am to understand the information that has been given to me, it's going to happen very soon. But it's event-driven, not date-driven. So like I said, we're in you know step two fully on the threshold of step three. So not necessarily to a date, but whenever these things sort of roll out so that we're in – Stage three, that's when we're at the point where stage four could happen. So it's event-driven. So as we move into stage three, that's when we're going to know, oh, stage four, any minute now, and then just kind of expect at any time that's going to happen. Because that's, but we don't know exactly when. But I'm, not, I'm to understand it's not going to be a long delay. So I wouldn't expect that we would enter the World War III phase and then months and months down the road, then we finally get the alien invasion. I kind of get the feeling from what I've been told that it should be all roll out pretty quickly. At least that's what they're telling me. I've been told to expect things to happen very quickly. So I, that's what I have to tell other people because that's what they're telling me. Now, How much of it will we see the time in the United States? I mean, I'm sorry, PK. Let me just ask this question to go back to sure. uh, back in, go back in time or go forward in time. When you do that, can you change things? Are you allowed to change things? And is that part of the purpose is to change things? Um, that enters some nuance of temporal mechanics that I don't know that I'm qualified to discuss other than to say that, yes, that's a type of technology that does exist, but no, it's not the type of technology that most people have access to. And it is definitely very specially regulated and anyone who steps outside the lines on that will be punished probably very severely by time core. Um, but they have kind of the, finger on the regulation of that. So um, any use of that technology would not just be allowed because someone decided they wanted to flip a switch. That would have to yeah, be something that would be Yeah, I would hope not be because it could change forth. so many things. So that's why I was right. wondering mm-hmm. about that. Very interesting that we do have some of this in play today. I, I can understand going and looking at things and getting a realistic appraisal of what really happened. But then when you start moving things around, I can imagine it could get very dicey for our whole reality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the ways in which my Brigadier General described how we as an organization, uh, Special Section, sees this event. He said, here's how we have to look at this. This is like a car going downhill that has four blown tires and no engine. And it's rapidly going down this downhill at over 100 miles an hour. And you're going down on either side of the street are parked cars and buildings and houses. And at the end of the road, way down at the bottom of the hill, is a lake. And what we're trying to do here is control the out-of-control slide of that out-of-control vehicle so that it hits fewer vehicles, kills fewer pedestrians, hopefully doesn't end up in the lake at the bottom. And if we're lucky, we can ditch it into the bushes before we hit the lake. So that's kind of what we're attempting to do here is, you know, control an out-of-control slide. So, again, when I say that the, the, ocean, the notion that someone is, you know, under strict control of this is not correct at all. But to say that we're attempting to steer and control it, absolutely. But it's because there's this out-of-control thing that if we don't, put some English on it and send it into the bushes that's going into the drink at the bottom of the hill and all kinds of people could get killed on the way down. So we're trying to avoid getting as few people killed 
or trying to avoid getting as many people killed, attempting to get fewer people killed down the road, fewer cars damaged, and hopefully we don't send the car down into the lake. Uh, and like we're all the car, <laughs> the whole planet is the car. So um, we're hoping to mitigate that a bit, but it's a, it's an out of control car with, you know, four blown tires. It's going to slide around and smack into some things. So it's just kind of what's going to happen. Yeah. Fascinating. We have a lot to look forward to in some ways. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I said, it's it's going to be a very awkward, difficult period, but you know, the the way it works out, and this is just me trying to be the best Pollyanna, look at the silver lining that I can, is instead of getting too focused on how awful it might be here in a minute, just to recognize that hold your breath and just know that we're just waiting for an outcome where it will end and we'll get on the other side. Don't stop, Don't get entrapped in into the mental thinking that the end of the world is the apocalypse and it's never going to end. Just know it will end, and when it does, it's all going to be okay. But uh, when we're in that rough spot, it's just going to be rough, and, and there's not much I can sugarcoat uh, to people for that other than that it's just going to be rough and it's going to suck. Yeah, especially because not only being under attack, we would be suffering severe uh, supply chain disruption, food, water, all of those things that we've mm-hmm. come to expect. Those aren't necessarily going to be there. Well, and the pandemic's not going away. Uh, it's going to be with us for a while. And the civil disruption phase is going to be with us until people decide to stop attacking each other. And the World War III phase is going to be with us until people decide to stop attacking each other. And hopefully when aliens invade, people will stop attacking each other and focus on the enemy at hand. But all of those things will kind of be colliding at the same time, and there's just no predicting exactly how it's going to turn out. All of the predictions we have are just messy. Some of them are worse than others. Some are better than others, but they're all messy, and there's no way to predict how it's going to turn out because there's just too many variables that change on a daily basis. Yikes. And you're talking wow. about longevity of, of life in the future. Mm-hmm. When do you see that type of thing taking place? Is, is that going to be a gradual thing or is it going to be kind of like an overnight thing? I, I think we'll have access to those technological tools in 10 years. So, so that if, depending on how the brakes are, and I'm not sure, I, since it, mm-hmm. if it's a technology I'm in control of, which if it's the holographic cellular regenerator, then I can say something about what people's access will be because we have very specific ideals about what the char- the fees to charge for access to that technology would be and that it would not be cost prohibitive uh, to people who are not rich and that there would, you would not be able to simply drop a million dollars and get first in line, that there would be no, you know, uh, pay to play system so that rich people get access first and that, you know, everybody else gets access later. It would be a need based access. So uh, we kind of prioritize veterans who've lost limbs and terminally ill children get to be treated first. And then, you know, everyone else is being treated on a need based system. But once the technology is broad enough that everyone has access, then, you know, longevity, cellular regeneration for health and well-being can be implemented. And again, if this were my tool and my technology that we're working on to be implemented, I could guarantee that there would be a broader access and a lower cost. 
If it's somebody else's technology that they're developing, some other program, I cannot even guarantee what their economic motivation is going to be or whether it's going to be something that has a broader access to everybody or whether it's something they're going to want to allow uh, rich people to pay to play and drop large buckets of money so that they can be first in line. Um, so I, I can't comment on that other than I hope based on the people who are telling me how this is supposed to sort of motor down the road that that's not going to be the case as far as it being a super exclusive access to people who only have money and no one else will have access to it. Um, but again, I, I can't say that if it's not right. something in my control. If it's technology yeah. I developed, then I can guarantee that there will be broad access and there will be no pay to play. If it's not my technology and that I'm not bringing it to the marketplace, then I, I personally can't guarantee that, but let's right. hope that it won't be horrible. Yeah, exactly. Well, Captain sure. Kramer, thank you so much for another exciting evening, and I am going to be up tonight thinking about this. <laughs> oh, it keeps me up every night, so welcome. You're welcome. Oh, welcome, welcome to, to the world. club. All right. <laughs> well, again, many, many thanks to you, Captain Kramer. Stay safe. We're going to try to do the same so that we can reconvene sometime next year. And next week, everybody, we'll be back with another great show. Until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl.